very good morning to all of you who are joining us today at the Walla Walla University Church. A special recognition for all of those who are starting a new journey as students here at the Walla Walla University. It's going to be a ride, and we are glad that you are with us this morning. I want to recognize all the parents who have helped to bring you here and who have been so instrumental in your journey up to this point. And uh, we're glad we can worship together. It's good to see you. Join with me as we pray um, and begin our time in the Word of God. God of all wisdom and knowledge, we have come this morning because we believe that your Word holds for us a challenge and encouragement and guidance for our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that you will continue to dwell in this place, that you will fill our hearts, that you will help us to be attentive to the words that you have for us. We pray that you will cut through our cynicism, our disbelief. We pray that you will move aside our distraction. We ask that each of us will hear your voice and that we will be changed as a result of encountering you. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Judith Greenberg presents herself as a quiet, maybe even austere type of person. She also exudes a confidence which you cannot quite put your finger on. And Judith has every reason to be confident. Judith has a sterling academic record and a basket full of awards from all of her peers for the good work she has done for years in her particular field. Greenberg is currently, wait for it, the Deputy Director of the National Institute of General Medical Sciences Division of Biophysics, Biomedical Technology and Computational Biosciences. She's a big deal but you would hardly know it from her presentation. Although you might proffer a guess from her clipped East Coast accent, which would remind you of leafy suburbs, old buildings, and stuffy libraries. And in November of 1994, Greenberg was part of an initiative that was to quote, fund applications that contain risky or unorthodox ideas or methods. Essentially, in cases where grantees had made applications for grants from her organization, they wanted to posture themselves toward being more optimistic about applications that may contain risky or unorthodox ideas. They wanted to do it because they believed that if they posture themselves in this direction, they may find potentially important ideas as a result. Greenberg continues speaking about this risky approach. You never know what's going to turn up in conducting science. It could be a bomb. I don't think she means a literal bomb, but, you know, not working. But on the other hand, the payoff could be enormous. And then she says, if it turns out to be correct, it could result in a whole paradigm shift. It's an interesting framework. And today we have freshmen who are coming 
this weekend to begin their journey here in Walla Walla. And it seems wise to me to continue the tradition that has been the case here to speak for a moment about Adventist education, to understand what this entire enterprise is and the value which is attendant with having an Adventist education. Now, Adventist education has come a long way since 1853 when Martha Byington opened the first Sabbatarian Adventist school in Boxbridge, New York. Today, when you look at Adventist education, you will find it's in 150 different countries. There are 85,000 teachers, 1.5 million students, 7,500 schools, and Adventist education sits as the largest Protestant educational system in the world. So Adventist education has come a long way. And being on an academic campus as I was preparing for this message, I spoke with students, with faculty, with professors, with alum, and asked, why Adventist education? Why be here? And it seems to me, at least, that Adventist education, if I were to sum it up in one sentence, would be to say that Adventist education is not safe, but it's good. And I think any case for Adventist education would echo Greenberg, our sterling academic, who said, if it turns out to be correct, it could really result in a whole paradigm shift. And so for the next few moments, we're going to think through together what Adventist education at its best may look like and the results of it. I think most of us who are here this morning, regardless of our age, of our demographic, can agree that there are high cost-benefit ratios that exist in life and that there are increased degrees of risk and difficulty that come with some activities, and yet we still do it. It's risky, but we still do it. No one puts a gun to our head, but we still engage in some risky activities for a reason, because we have looked at the cost-benefit ratio and we say, this is worth doing. It's the reason why some of you perhaps may have woken up at 2 a.m. to summit Mount Rainier or some other similarly tall mountain, knowing that you are in for a day of brutal, grinding climbing. And you did it because when you reached the summit, you knew you were going to be rewarded with a view like this. It was not safe, but it was good. It's the reason that 10,800 women every year in the United States of America go through the grueling pain of childbirth, knowing the attendant risks that will come, the, the changes that will come to your body, the postnatal complications that can follow, you still go through the excruciating experience of birth, not because it is safe, but because it is good. 
It's the young man who extends himself to his girlfriend after having dated for a while, puts himself out there, and one day decides to drop to one knee to ask for her hand in marriage and to say, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. There is no guarantee of her response. And yet, even though it is not safe, it is good. It's the first responder who rushes into a burning building and who hacks down a door so that they can save an occupant in that building or jumps into an icy lake in the middle of winter to save someone who is drowning. They don't do it because it is safe, but they do it because it is good. The phrase safe but not good may have pricked the ears of some of you here today. And if you are one of those people, congratulations, because this is a phrase picked up from a Christian author that many of us are familiar with. C.S. Lewis, in his classic children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, employs this phrase. And this book, if you're not familiar with it, is an adventure book written about four young children who discover this land called Narnia. And this entire novel in its entirety is an allegory to Christ as this figure of redemption and to the lion Aslan who represents this Christ figure and the wicked white witch who symbolizes the devil. Now Aslan rules Narnia with love, with justice, with strength, with mercy, and his actions reflect the ultimate sacrifice that Christ gives on the cross. At some point in the book, Lewis has this conversation that we're going to go through. And what happens, it's a conversation between the youngest child, Lucy, and Mr. Beaver. This is the conversation. Aslan is a lion. This is Mr. Beaver speaking. The great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. The conversation continues. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And I think that this phrase about Aslan, this Christ figure, is deeply illustrative of a God that we serve who is not safe, but who is good. Because we don't serve a God who is a puppy that we can pet or that we can train to do tricks on our behalf or to follow our agenda for our life. So in that sense, he is not safe, but he certainly has shown himself to be good. And I believe Adventist education lives in this neighborhood of not being safe, but being good. Let me explain. Because there are some of you who are thinking, hold on, time out. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your words so far, but 
Do you understand the sacrifice I have made for my child to be here at Walla Walla? Had to dip into my 401k, sold the second car. Now we have one car and a bike. We drove five hours from Oregon to bring them here. Then we used a Sherpas to go up the stairs of Foreman and Connard to move my kid in. I do not need to hear that Adventist education is not safe. I need it to be safe. All the chips are in this basket. Hold on. Adventist education, I think, cannot be safe because its chief aim is to make people into the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the last I read in the Gospels, was far from our ideals of a comfortable, settled, middle-class American life. So to make students into the image of Christ means there is an attendant risk to our dreams of what our children might be, their dreams of where they may go, or how society expects us to act. It isn't safe, but it's good. One of the first followers of Jesus who started his life off in just terrible circumstances, persecuting Christians left, right, and center, who then met the risen Christ, had an experience that changed him, later became the most prolific writer and greatest champion of Christianity, writes a letter to a church in the empire of Rome, and he says this in the book, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This author, Paul, is insisting that to be a follower of Jesus, the way of Jesus, means a transformation has to take place. A re-education of our mind has to happen. In fact, when he is speaking, Paul uses this word uh, when he is speaking about not being conformed to the ways of the world. And the word that he uses is schizomatio, which is an interesting word. And it literally has this word image of being conformed to a space, of, of, of being squeezed into a mold. And Paul says, if you are following the way of Jesus, you should not conform yourself to an, someone else's pattern. Or perhaps we might put it this way. You ought not to be, as a follower of Christ, a mere reflector of other people's thought. Now, Paul telling the believers in this empire that you should not be conformed to this world is warning them about being shaped in ways that are counter to Jesus' deepest dreams and desires for us. And Ellen White, one of the, one of the uh, founders of the Adventist church and a tireless pro uh, proponent of Adventist education, writes this almost as a philosophical groundwork for what Adventist education should have. So if you are coming as a freshman, pay attention to this quote. 
This is what she says, and she starts off really meta. It's lofty. Every human being created, that includes all of you, created in the image of God, it's endowed with a power akin to that of the creator. This is bold. And then she, she continues, individuality, power to think and to do. It is the work of true education to develop this power, to train the youth to be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. If we take what she is saying seriously, and if we take what Paul is saying seriously about not being schizomatso and conformed into other people's pattern, then Adventist education, again, it isn't safe, but it's good. Let me explain what I mean when I say it's not safe. It's not safe if you as a parent have been holding on to dreams of what you hope your child might be as a consequence of coming to Walla Walla University and being in Adventist education. They may not be your mirror image. If you pay to create a mirror image of yourself, your practices, your values, the things that you hold dear, you may be sorely disappointed because when Christ bids us to come, they may go in directions following the risen Christ, which will look very different to what you might have wanted. It is a risk. If you're a student and you are coming here to begin life at Walla Walla University, you have to recognize that you are now entering a phase of your life where you are an adult. You have been endowed with the power to think, to choose, to make decisions. There is no longer a parent who is going to wake you up to pray in the morning or to go to church on Sabbath. There is no longer any forcing mechanism for you to continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. There are some, but you now have to make this decision yourself, and some of it may feel risky. Because all of a sudden, your Sabbath practice, your taste in music, your recreational activities are decisions you must make as an adult, even here in this place, because you are not here to merely be reflectors of your professors, your parents, or your friends, but to make studied decisions about who you want to be for the rest of your life. And yet, in an Adventist institution, you are buttressed by three key components that help you in this endeavor. There is, of course, the school, there is the church, and then there are your parents. And together, we pray and instruct as a community of grace so that you 
might grow into the stature of who God is calling you to be. But if you want analogs of yourself, Adventist education is not safe, but it's good. I see an entire row of faces on the back of the balcony. I'm always interested to see who those people are. You know, developmentally, when you are in university, I was just reading a survey on evangelical colleges, and it seems that many students will come to a place where there is a crisis of faith which develops when they go to school. It's a time when everything is deconstructed, when all the whys you have asked and perhaps have not received sufficiently good answers for you now either discard or you make up questions yourself. And on the other hand, it's an experience that can strengthen your beliefs so that they are not shallow, but they get depth. It's a time where you can grow. And in that process here on the campus of the Walla Walla University Church, you have pastors and professors, mentors and counselors, small groups, and many people in the community who are here to help you on that journey, to struggle, to question, to doubt, to be unsure, is probably going to be part of your experience here. That is not a problem. But to struggle in silence, that is something we want to avoid because we want to be here as you think and as you wrestle with what God is calling you to do for the rest of your life. Martin Luther King, uh, observing in his book, Strength to Love, about how the pressures for cultural conformity uh, can, can impact us, says this, that to condition our minds and our feet to move to the rhythmic drumbeat of the status quo is what we must fight against. He says to condition our minds and our feet to move to the rhythmic drumbeat of the status quo is what we are to push against. And I believe that Adventist education at its best is this, is to stop you in your tracks and to ask you questions that cause you to think so that you do not just flow with the rest of society in an unthinking, unexamined life. Sociologist Jacques Elou, who worked with marginalized teenagers in a region of France called Bordeaux in the 1950s and 60s, did some really interesting research. As he worked with these marginalized kids, orphans, kids who had been thrown out of their homes, kids who did not fit the mold of society, he had a specific goal in mind as he interacted with each of these young people. He did not want to make them fit in and to become cultural conformist of France in the 50s. What Elul said his goal was, was to help kids move from being, and this is an interesting um, model to look at, he wanted to move 
the kids who are disenfranchised and marginalized on the outskirts of society to move from being negatively adjusted, i.e. people think they're just weird, to being positively maladjusted so they could be non-conformist. So let's just take a moment here. Essentially what he is saying is he recognized being on the outskirts of society was not what the kids needed to grow and to be who they needed to be. But at the same time, he didn't want them just to move from the margins and become like everybody else in society. What he wanted the kids to be was to be positively maladjusted, which meant that society would then have to fit around them so that they would live as non-conformist in their life. Or in the words of Paul, that they would not be conformed, but transformed. Or in the words of Ellen White, not to merely be reflectors of other men's thoughts, to be positively maladjusted. And this, I believe, is another goal of Adventist education. And if you are talking about looking at 17, 18, 19-year-olds who no longer just listen blindly to instruction, but think for themselves, it's not safe. <laughs> but it's good. Oh, and another word. So... This sermon is not saying if you are coming to Walla Walla University, we're trying to turn you into a bunch of widows. This is not it. This is not saying you are going to be so strange. You know, like, no one's going to want to know anything. No, this is, not, this is not the sermon. And if that's where your mind has been tracking, please make a redirection. And in fact, I have evidence that... Adventist education helps those who graduate to have better careers than their parents, to do well in the marketplace. There's a picture we're going to put up, and this is interesting. You may not be able to read it, so I'll read it for you, but it's in a district far, far away from here that I was at, and we had a, a piece of paper which was given, and we we're trying to guess and match uh, some people. And so I've crossed out all of the names, but you will see on the other side, these are people in a local Adventist church who for the most part have either gone to Adventist uh, education or have been touched by it in some way. Not all of them, but the vast majority. Look at the names, look at the occupations. Advocate, biostatistician and research scientist, Boeing engineer, CPA, climate change program manager, dietitian, director of web analytics, entrepreneur, hospital chaplain, obstetrician, gynecologist, ophthalmologist, research coordinator, nurse, sewing instructor, student in counseling, psychology, violin teachers. Adventist education in some shape or form. And yet, what is most impressive to me on this list is not their professions. It's this. Look at this word. They are elders. They are involved 
in the work of the local church. These men and women are stewards of holy information, midwives of divine revelation, bearers of God's love of a congregation making life in Seattle. They are positively maladjusted. And so if you want to judge success for Adventist education by, hey, is my kid going to be able to come out, make some money so that I can get the 401k amount I took back? Probably. Probably. This summer, there are many students, perhaps some of you are here today who because of Adventist education, because of the formation you have had, spent your summer not in a conventional, although there is nothing wrong with it, so hear me clearly, uh, internship, but perhaps at one of the summer camps. And you spent an entire summer working really for probably minimum wage, but shepherding the lives of students so that they may make a decision for Jesus Christ because you are being positively maladjusted. Helping children make that decision in baptism. And even in the last couple of weeks, I saw as a group of faculty and students took a group of Walla Walla students to Thailand. And unbeknownst to these students, I am sure there was a level of risk attendant with their trip. Not because they were going to take shoddy planes or sleep in places where they may, you know, get bitten by things that creep and crawl in the night. No. But a risk that lurked in the corner. At some point, when they were in Thailand, they had a 10-hour round trip which was scheduled to go to a bamboo school. Now, the faculty member who'd been helping with that, Pedrito Maynard Reed, said that he was wondering if he had perhaps made a mistake by having a trip that was going to be so far out of the way and perhaps the students would come away hating it and never want to go back. And then they arrive at this bamboo school. And it's in fact an orphanage run by a dedicated uh, woman who had retired and for the last 19 years has been working in this school with children who have gone through trauma, with children who have no privilege, no standing, no importance in society, who have stories laced with horrific pain, and she has been working with these kids. And so we have our Walla Walla students go do this 10-hour trip, end up there. They spend time with the students. They play with them. They pray with them. They minister to them as best as they can. And as they leave, these students, and forgive me for saying this about uh, about college students, but really they generally, they don't have money. Like, they do not have money. 
They have saved money. They have begged and pleaded from parents to have some money in their pocket so they can buy some things, a souvenir on their way back. And yet these students, when they saw the plight of this orphanage, they took up a collection amongst them and raised $500 so they could give to the children in this orphanage. You had nurses coming from the Portland campus of the Walla Walla University who realized the risk which had come in taking this trip because all of a sudden they started to pivot about what God may be calling them to do in their life. And they started, some of them, to wonder, might God be calling me to be a missionary nurse? Might God be calling me to do something else than what I had planned for my life? Because again, Adventist education, if it's to reform, re-educate, according to the pattern of Christ, means that our well-made plans may be disrupted, and it means that it's not safe, but it's, it's good. Adventist education at its best will broaden your child's worldview. It will challenge immature beliefs. It will work hard each day to strengthen a commitment to Christ. Adventist education seeks to form students through a holistic process that encompasses transformational learning, cross-disciplinary inquiry, personal and spiritual development, experiential learning. Adventist education, my friends, is not a safe endeavor, but it is good and it is consequential, and it is necessary for this world in which we live. And I want to end by going back to this quote that Ellen White had in the book Education, and the last part of it, the only way I can really describe this, is that it's a pretty muscular quote. She's speaking about the end product that we ought to expect, that you parents ought to expect as you go home and you pray for your son and for your daughter as you call them and hope that they will respond with a phone call, not just a text message. As you go away and you perhaps become an empty nester and you think, what is going to become of my child as they've come to Walla Walla University? Here, Ellen White, this tireless proponent of Adventist education, concludes. She says this, instead of educated weaklings, institutions of learning, Walla Walla may send forth students strong to think and to act, who are masters and not slaves of circumstances. Students who possess breadth of mind, clearness of thought, and the courage of their convictions. If you meet somebody like that, you will immediately know that they are not safe, but they are good. And so our prayer here in this community is that you will be happy that you have chosen to bring your child to Walla Walla University, that you will join us in praying for these students, that you will support them through your listening ear, and that you will know that the decision they have made and you have made together for Adventist education is not safe, but it's good.